This is the Ball Talk Pod. Evan Kinsey. Starting now. Good afternoon and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kinsey. On today's show, Angelo Carriero of ESPN 1300 Lexington WLXG and a sea of blue joined the show. Angelo, thanks for coming on. Evan, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Angelo, can you tell our viewers uh, what you do at ESPN Lexington and when your guys' shows come out? Um, man, we, I, I do a ton of stuff here. Uh, I produce our afternoon show, uh, Matthew and Mikey from four to seven. You can catch that Monday through Friday, uh, Dan and Mary Joe show, uh, 10 to 12 on Saturdays, nine to 11 on Sundays, uh, in the morning. Um, I'm an, I report for, uh, our station for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I do high school. I cover high school in the area for football and basketball, which is varsity game night. You can catch us in the fall, winter, and then the very edge of spring for uh, for all the action in high school basketball and football in the state. So I'm, I stay pretty busy around here, man. Tell us also about a sea of blue and what you do for them. Oh, um, I love Sea Blue, man. It's a great site. I um, I just I write basketball content, write football content, pretty much anything that needs to be done. I try to get on there. I'm, I also uh, my expertise lately has been statistical breakdowns and trying to find trends that equal success for Kentucky or uh, in a game by game basis. So I did that for uh, a couple of uh, the games and especially going into tournament. I pretty much hit on a lot of uh, of the trends that I saw or the uh, benchmarks and then you know the kansas state game happened how was your bracket on that my bracket was absolutely destroyed from pretty much the first uh from the first round when uva lost and then when michigan state lost to syracuse it was it was night night for my bracket man that was it yeah that killed the most people what was your um final four uh right when you made your bracket all right, so I will. I, I'm not trying to preface this because of what we saw. I had Texas A&M in the Final Four, but that was just my dark horse because I knew they beat North Carolina, yeah. and I've, I've kind of figured Michigan would beat them just on the matchup wise. But in my bracket, I had Texas A&M, so I'll have to stick with that for now. Though I thought Michigan would beat them, but anyways, I had UVA. Texas A&M, Michigan State, and Villanova. So I went one out of four on Final Four predictions. I went with Michigan, Duke, Kentucky, and Villanova. So I was pretty close except for the Kentucky one. So I give my – I think that was pretty good. I I don't know. I think Michigan's going to win it. Not not Michigan, Villanova. What do you think about uh, the by tournament? Man, I, I also have to say, I think the championship game most definitely is going to be Michigan and Villanova. I think that's what we're really staring down the barrel, and I think it's going to be a great game, maybe a classic game, you know, from two teams we're not really expecting. The NCAA tournament this year, I think, has caught some flack, some deserved, some not. I think there were big moments. I think there were highlight moments. I don't think it necessarily had some of that spark, especially with Arizona going out early, Michigan State going out early, North Carolina going out early. 
there were a lot of teams. I mean, one bracket had, you know, an 11 seed, a 9 seed, a, a, you know, a 16 seed. You know, that was all on one region and that south region that Kentucky, you know, didn't make it out of. So I, my opinion just on the NCAA tournament was I think it's been entertaining, um, but it's not one that I would definitely say is an all-timer, though I do think it had all-time moments. We had a 11 seed make a Final Four and a 16 seed beat the number one overall seed in the tournament for the first time ever. So I think at least you've got two really big moments uh, kind of come out of it. Yeah, for sure. I'd say there's some classic games, but like you said, it's not really a classic tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been pretty great, but you like to see the Blue Bloods really get into it, and that that's really what people want to see. But um, speaking about college basketball, our first sports topic of the day is Kentucky Wildcats NCAA tournament performance. As most of you know, Kentucky reached a Sweet 16 this year and lost to Kansas State by three. Even though it wasn't the most difficult path to the Sweet 16 like we talked about, um, what did you think about the Cats in the tournament? Look, I thought Kentucky played – Man, it's it's really hard because I think the Kansas State game really left a sour taste in everyone's mouth because we got so excited. But here here's what I do want to say. We finished, now let me count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not nine and two in the last 11 games of the season, okay? And that included winning the SEC tournament and making it to the Sweet 16. Now, I think this is kind of where everybody expected the Cats to be, us to be. Um, but to answer your question directly, uh, Davidson was a hard-fought battle. I think we we played well enough to win, but we should have played better. But we came against a Buffalo team that beat Arizona, and Arizona convincingly. And that was a team with DeAndre Ayton and Alonzo Trier, and uh, I, can't, I can't remember the third guy. They had Jackson Cartwright as well. Um, Raleigh, Raleigh Atkins. Um, so they had all these in borderline NBA players, then obviously a, a top overall pick. And they beat them. And we come out on the court and mop the floor with them there in the second half to win by 20 okay so we're looking at that and that was a fantastic performance here's what i think kansas state when i was doing my scouting report you could have caught my scouting reports on bigblueBanter.com and read my kansas state scouting report now i did say we kind of you know beat them pretty handily so i was wrong about that but the two strengths that kansas state had coming into this uh, the game against kentucky was they forced turnovers and they played good defense and if you told me what are the two things or you asked me you asked me what are the two things that kentucky would struggle against it would be turnovers and a team that played good defense and that's what kansas state did and to me when it came to the game if you look at our team like a car okay let's say cal is the engine this year uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander was the transmission. Okay, and what I mean by that is when he's playing at peak uh, peak prowess, our team can hit fourth and fifth gear. But when he's not playing well, we can't get out of first gear. Right, just like a transmission does to a car. That's what Shea did. Shea went into the lane two times at the beginning of the game, absolutely could not get his shot off, and I think it shot his confidence for the rest of the game. He was kind of shaken of it, and he's the guy that we needed every game in and game out. So when he was playing pretty bad, I mean, it was 40 minutes of pretty much bad basketball. You know, the refs called a lot of fouls, and, you know, Kansas State got a lot of guys fouled out. But in the end, it was just there was a lot of hope there at the very end and it just got shut down pretty quick by a team I think we should have beaten so that's that's kind of how I view it I think they played well but you know it, it's just this team man it was just this team all year and it reared its ugly head in a time that we really could have probably made the final four 
I agree on that. Uh, another thing on Kansas State is something else interesting. Their best player didn't even play. He's been out with injury. I don't know how many games in a row. But I thought that was pretty interesting that they beat Kentucky and made the Elite Eight uh, without him. But, like, you, you're talking about Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, most mock drafts have him around 11. But, actually, I saw a mock draft come out today. I think it has a Sacramento Kings picking him eighth overall. That would be pretty mm. I, I could really dig a De'Aaron Fox uh Gildas Alexander backcourt. Even mm-hmm. though I'm not the biggest Fox fan, I think that'd be really good. Um, wow! But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember why. Don't 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 hold your favorite play. You know, don't hold that against him, man. He he he, he put he put your boy on skates a couple times. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, Lonzo Lonzo's my guy for sure. But uh, Shea, yeah, like you said, he's been the transmission fuel for this team. He's been everything for them. Uh, when I interviewed Tony Delk earlier this year, before the season, actually it was right after Big Blue Madness, I said, this reminds me a little bit of like when we had, I don't know who it was, it was one of the Harrisons, Aaron Harrison, Aaron, Andrew Harrison, my bad, and uh, Tyler Eulis was coming in as a freshman, and I thought Tyler could outplay Andrew, because even though he was a, a lesser rated recruit than Andrew was, and uh, Andrew was a sophomore, I still thought Eulis could do that. And that's kind of what it's like this year with Quade being the higher-rated recruit and Shea being the less heralded player. I think he was like 45th overall in the country, and now he's been mm-hmm. the best player on the roster. Uh, but Quade, I mean, uh, Shea has really been phenomenal this year. I'm really glad what I saw from him. And I think he's going to be tremendous on the next level. It's just hard to find a great guard in college basketball that can dictate the pace and also get a bucket at will and play great defense. So I really liked what I saw from him this year. Um, but I had a couple thoughts on the game. Of course, everyone is beyond words with P.J. Washington's struggles at the free throw line, but he still managed to help us out with 18 and 15 and didn't come out of the game with 40 minutes of action. But, you know, the thing that really frustrated me was that quite a green three-point attempt in crunch time when I think they most agree they could have gotten a better shot. It was like eight seconds left. It was a handoff from Shea on the right sideline, and it was a really contested three-pointer. They might have said go for that so they could foul, but I, I honestly think they could have got a better look. And then another thing that nobody talked about was um, if they didn't allow the offensive rebound with 40 seconds left that led to a Kansas State timeout. If you just grab that rebound, come on, Nick Richards. Uh, probably win that game, uh, or at least say into overtime. Uh, I'm not trying to dog Kentucky, even though I'm a UCLA fan, but they simply just got outplayed. You can tell what team had the most heart, even though that was something they really worked on this year, uh, let come down the stretch. and That was probably their biggest flaw on the team this year, uh, that and they never really connected as teammates. But what do you think is a hole from the U.K. team this year? Um, just for, just as a whole, I think there was a lot of. It, this is one of the few teams where it kept. It never. It, it never really seemed like it gelled into a cohesive unit. It was kind of dependent on who was hot this game, or Shea bail us out, or this lineups just happened to work now. It never seemed like we really got uh, a, a very consistent footing in any part of the season, except there was. The, I think. I think there in that uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi stretch. I think that stretch to close out the 
year really showed what the potential of this team was, but then there were times where they couldn't play as a rounded unit. Also, I think not being able to have Richards on the court uh, playing just good basketball kind of hurt too because having a big man like that, especially a big man that hits you know close to 70-75% of his free throws is really, really valuable in today's game. Protects the rim and there was just a lot of problems when it came to the individual pieces. A lot of people want to blame Coach Cal for recruiting these guys together not really having a team even though, uh, you know, Quade was hurt for a little bit and that's where Shea got his position and Vanderbilt was on and off the court, you know, the last three months. You know, you never really knew when he was coming back in. I think when it comes to this Kentucky team, it's going to be looked back. I think I think this is going to be grouped into a stretch because I think there is this stretch where in three years they've gone uh, to one Elite Eight, uh, around a 32, and a Sweet 16. And I think that pressure is starting to build up on Cal, especially with the way Duke is recruited and the way Duke has gone. So it, from this team overall, I just feel like that there was a lot of promise. It was very up and down. And I just hope the way they closed the year, everybody will remember this team a little more fondly than the way they treat them. Because fans, this was the first year that I really felt fans had like a backlash against them. I know the Jamal Murray team wasn't popular, but they, you know, they had Euless kind of leading that front and they had, uh, Jamal Murray playing so well during the, but you know, I, I just, I just hope that fans can look back on this team and really kind of appreciate it for what they were. I, I really love that Jamal Murray team. That was just, I love that team. Okay, this is just, well, yeah, you're a UCLA fan. <laughs> they went, they lost Indiana in, in the round of 32. No, I'm not saying I didn't. Like, I didn't <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, mm-hmm. But just think about, I just thought of a hypothetical because I was talking about, I was talking to somebody this year. Who would just this totally hypothetical? Who do you think would win the um, the Ulysses Murray team and like a washed Scalabissier team uh, or this year's team? Man, that is a very very good question. And uh, if I had to come up with it now, this is without you know looking at the rosters and making matchups. I'd probably take this year's team. Well, I, I honestly would take that uh, Murray team because. You really don't know who the leader is on this team. I mean, you know Shea's the leader, but you don't know who the real go-to scorer is. Like you said, they pick a different player every game to like carry them. So, but with that team there was consistently it's either it's going to be Murray and Ulysses leading the way. Well, let me say this. Let me, in defense of the my pick, there's two things that really come down to this. One, I, I kind of disagree with you because I think that Shea, down that stretch, especially starting with that Alabama game, and then there was that Vanderbilt game that he really got. I think starting in with that Vanderbilt game, so around the beginning of February, all the way down, Shea was the guy. He was the unquestioned guy, and then Kevin kind of stepped up where need be. Now, this is what I'm going to say as just defense is my pick. You've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander uh, guarding either, you know, Jamal Murray or Tyler Ulis, and that guy on defense is phenomenal. So he's going to take one of those guys out. And I think the perimeter defense of this team was a strength, and I think that was a strength of that team from uh, 2015-2015. Uh, yeah, 2015-16, I believe. So when it comes, just to me, when it comes down to it, I think that this team is super long, super athletic. Uh, Scal, you know, as much as I loved Scal, he wasn't the guy we needed to be. There was Kevin, no- I mean, you got Kevin Knox and PJ, who are two phenomenal athletes that are both six nine plus i just feel like that what we kind of saw that buffalo did or we did against buffalo now of course the uk team was much better than that buffalo team both only made it to the round of 32 i think that's kind of the matchup we'd see i like your point there but 
if they get the Scalabitsier from the Sacramento Kings, then we'd be talking. Oh, you can't tell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, agreed. If you can get the Scalabitsier from the Sacramento Kings, get for at the national championship because that guy has been playing great since he's really been in the NBA and you know developed his body and kind of learned on the fly. Or you get first three uh, games of his freshman year Scalabitsier, then we're talking too. Oh yeah, I, I want to say that real quick. I watched him against NJIT when he was at Kentucky, and that guy looked like a superstar. And I hated how the turns re- the fans really turned on him, but that kid was always a talent. Always. He was always my favorite player on the team. I know everybody was uh, upset with him, but he he was really my favorite because I was. Me too. I agreed. I agree with you, Evan. He'd bounce out of it. I thought he'd bounce out uh, of his slump every single game, and then uh, went to the tournament that year, and he just he was. It seemed like the player, he wasn't as good as we thought he'd be, but he was pretty decent. And, and I loved how when he went up against LSU, like he wanted to battle Ben Simmons because they were the one-two of that class. And that's the, you know, he's the last guy. He's the last top recruit Cal got. And I can, you can you can hit me up in my mentions and stuff and say, well, De'Aaron was the fifth overall guy. Malik was seventh. Bam was eight. Or, you know, Bam was seventh. Malik was eight. Anyways, you can say those guys were top recruits. And they were. They were top ten recruits. But Scal was the last headline recruit. Top two. Top one. Top three. Uh, that Cal has gotten. He was the last one. And they're not getting this year either, so it might take a couple of years to get that. Okay, some other interesting news related to Kentucky is that Kevin Knox might, saying might, be coming back for his sophomore season next year. His father said the other day that Knox loves the whole college atmosphere and loves playing for the Cats, saying it's not a foregone conclusion he declares for the draft. Angelo, what's your take on this? Uh, there's there's two sides of me, Evan, when it comes to this. There's a side of me that says, this is what I think if I'm thinking rationally, and then there's the fan side of me. The side that thinks rationally thinks that uh, his dad's helping him with press. Kevin Knox, you know, because I think when Kentucky fans really attach themselves to a player, they follow them throughout the NBA and always care about them because there are some players that fans don't really talk about anymore, and then there are players like, you know, Wall and Davis, the all-stars that they still love to this day. I think this is kind of a way to endear uh, Kevin to the fans. Like, he really does want to be here, really does want to play. Then he goes to the combine, then he drains all those threes, then he tests out at the gym, and they're like, well, Kevin Knox is a top ten lock. And they can turn around to the fan base and be like, geez, guys, I really wish I could have came back, but I'm a top ten lock. And everybody will be like, we understand, Kevin. Thanks for, you know, considering us and, you know, wanting to come back. That's the rational side of me. Kind of thinks it's more of a play to not have the fans turn on him. You know, and I know you can say, well, it doesn't matter now if he's going to anyways but everybody wants to leave the situation that they were prior in on good terms so that's the rational side the fan side of me says that it makes sense because what if he's not a top 10 pick i think that the eighth spot is as high as he could go is number eight in the draft that's the very very tip of that iceberg uh, for him until it just falls out from under him let's say that everything i've heard about next year's class is that it's very 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 top heavy you know with pretty much with the three juke guys and it kind of falls off a cliff now kevin knox comes back he scores 22 a game he hits four threes a game on 40 percent he's driving to the lane every game i'm saying that there's potential that if he's looking at it that way that he can come back on top of that We can also talk about winning a national championship if Kevin comes back. And you know that does help an NBA GM's mind. So I think that this is just a way for him to be cool with fans. 
but I also see how it could help Kevin in his path to getting where he wants in the NBA. And think of that, I didn't really think of it that way, but I really don't remember. I really, um, I can't say the name. I can't remember the name. But I don't remember a player like not saying he's not going to come back. I, I, I remember most players saying it's not a lock for Kentucky. Right, exactly. Agreed. But, like, you think about it this year, Miles Bridges, everybody thought he'd win the national championship with Michigan State. And they're like, oh, he need, or last year, and they're like, oh, he needs to go, he needs to go. He's phenomenal. And then he comes back in sophomore season. Uh, Robert Williams from Texas A&M, he's always oh, going to be a lottery pick. He's going to be a lottery pick. Comes back till next season. And these players really didn't up their stats that much. So, But I think mm-hmm. Kevin Knox probably will uh, up his stats this year, assuming they don't get like Romeo Langford in the – Are you saying that Kevin Knox is going to come back? No, I'm saying if he does come back, his, okay. his stats probably wouldn't be as great. Like, like probably two, probably wouldn't be averaging 22 points a game. It'd probably be like mm-hmm. Bridges. He might get like 17 or 18. Evan, if you don't mind me saying this, I just think that the the best comparison that I can think of, or not the Paris, uh, the the best comparison. I'm saying the ceiling that someone coming back for their sophomore year is Blake Griffin, because Blake Griffin was a McDonald's All American, slam dunk contest winner. Could have came out after his freshman year, came back his sophomore year, 22 points, 13 rebounds. You know, took Oklahoma to I think the Elite Eight or something, and was the number one, but like in a walk, number one overall pick. That's exact. I was. Exactly going to say that right when you said that. I, 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 oh, that's awesome. I actually think Knox and Griffin are kind of – Detroit Pistons, Blake Griffin, it's kind of like Kevin Knox. Um, Percentage-wise, um, 45% from the field, 34% from three, 77% from the free throw line. Um, he'll, Blake Griffin has averaged around 19 with the Pistons and gives you about nine boards. And he also likes to handle the ball, so that's that's a decent comparison. But of course, I'd say not. Not Griffin wasn't the shooter. Uh, oh yeah, was. there was no Knox. Knox will develop into a forty-plus guy yeah. from three in the NBA. Uh, he didn't even get very good looks this year. Most of them were like really highly contested looks. Anyways, mm-hmm. okay. So speaking of Kevin Knox, in Bleacher Report's latest mock draft, they have Knox going fourteen to the Clippers. Uh, CBS Sports has him at 13 to the Nuggets. Um, so I just don't see him going back. But that's where Robert Williams was last year. Miles Bridges was in the 8-9 to nine range. So you never know. I expect him to go, but anything's possible. I actually think Jamal Murray said he might come back. I'm pretty sure it was one. He said that too. I think I think almost every guy afterwards, and I don't know if Cal tells him to say this or something, but even the guys that are like kind of surefire, they always kind of say that you know what I love Kentucky so much. Give me a couple days. I really need to decide. And all the fans are like, "Man, we love this kid. He wants to stay and bleed blue." And then they go, you know. And everybody everybody remembers that, but forgets that they probably weren't going to stay yeah. <laughs> anyways. But that's a, I mean that's a good idea. And also, uh, just real quick, I'm looking at the top fourteen. Um, the draft. Now, I, I think in the top seven, you've kind of got a firm top seven. I think it's Aiton, Bagley, Porter, Doncic, Bamba, Jackson, and Young, Trey Young. And then after that, I think it's that next crew, Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, uh, Macau Bridges, Miles Bridges. I think Kevin Knox could lead to the beginning of a pack, especially I don't know if you'll like this or not, New York Knicks. If you can get a three-point shooter that can play the four around Chris Stops playing the five and have a guy that can help stretch the four and space the four for that team, I think that would be a really good look. If, if I'm the Knicks, I'd be looking at Macau Bridges, honestly. If, if, they, if he's available, I'd definitely pick him over Knox. Macau Bridges is in a higher uh, level 
um, up from him, I think. It just, I think I think Macau can help more now. I think Kevin can help more in the future. Wait, never mind. I'm not thinking. I'm thinking about Jaron Jackson Jr. That's what I'm thinking. Jaron Jackson. Jr. Oh, Jaron Jackson will be top seven lock. I think he's one of the. I think he's one of the big seven of this class. Yeah, he's. He, that's who I was thinking about. Um, Bridges plays for. Um, Villanova. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson will be phenomenal on the Nick. He's six. Oh, Jaren, three blocks. anywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, also, I want to hear your um, thoughts on this. Nobody believes believes me in this. Mo Bamba is the is the best player in the draft, in my opinion. I think he's the most. He could be the most valuable player on a team. Mo Bamba is the one that really takes a team to the next level. You, my friend, may be on an island on that one. I I think that Mo Bamba is a fantastic player. I think he's a fantastic prospect. I think that his game is definitely suited more towards what the NBA is going away from. Now, he'll have to prove that he can pick and roll. Like, the only the only thing I can see is he definitely has to be on a four-and-out like a team, like a four-out, one-in. Uh, he's not giving you much on the offense, you know, early and maybe never develops into a major offense. Now, defensively, if you're saying that he's going to protect the paint like a young Dwight Howard, then, yeah, I can definitely, you know, see that. But to me, I think you've got to put Aiton above him. I think you've got to put Bagley above him. Jaron Jackson fits the uh, mold of the current NBA player better. And then I probably, you know, would have Bomba, you know, fighting it out with Jackson. The only reason why I'm disagreeing with you is not because of Bomba the player. I'm talking about the way the NBA is played today. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Here's my comparisons for him. I see okay. Bagley is Chris Bosh. I say okay. it's like Kevin Garnett. And the reason why okay. I'm going with Bomb is I've never seen a player like him. Uh, he shoots two three-pointers a game. So he can shoot outside. He's only shooting 31%, I think, from three. But he can shoot. Uh, average, I think, four blocks per game. And I watch a ton of Texas games because I, I love this guy. If the Lakers can trade a ton, if they can trade like three future picks to get him, I will be on. I will love Magic and Rob Palenka forever. But this dude is phenomenal. Oh my gosh! And the, really, Texas—they didn't really have a great ball dominant passer. He's been open so many times, and they don't give him the ball. He could have easily averaged 20 points per game this year, but he got like 14 and 12 with four blocks and shot two threes a game. So he can shoot. He will shoot them. So I really like him, and I think he'll be a great player. He's never – I don't think he'll ever be the top scorer on a team, no. I think Aiton and uh, Bagley can do that. But I think value, I think um, Bomba will be phenomenal. He, he can, he'll be the one that can win a championship, I think. Those other players, I don't think they'll win a championship. That's, that's, that's very high praise. And like I said, I cannot disagree with you that he is that level of player. I think that – I think that this is kind of a comparison. I think maybe more fitting. I think Rudy Gobert, as a type of elite defensive, play, like Rudy Gobert came back for the Utah Jazz this year, and they went on twenty-five and five streak. I mean, that's amazing. That's what. Now you do need Donovan Mitchell to lead your scoring. You need passers like Joe Ingles. You need you know Ricky Rubio. But the thing was is that Rudy Gobert came back, and they were a top five NBA team in the last 30 games, which is a very good sample size. So that's kind of where I see your point. Now, will he ever be able to shoot? I think he'll develop it enough to where 
you know, he's not just, you know, incapable, but I think that's kind of like, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, we definitely have room when the NBA draft gets closer. If you want to have me back on, we can definitely, you know, kind of deep dive into the NBA draft. Yeah. I'd absolutely love to have you on, but uh, I just thought of this real quick. Rudy Mm -hmm. Gobert defensively, Miles Turner offensively. I think that's the hope. I think if you're hoping offensively, Miles Turner's kind of the guy that he's going to have to be. Also with the Texas connection there, that's a but too. I think uh, I think that it's it's definitely going to have to be something that he develops. Also, you know, they were talking about the one on one. See, I, my guy's Aiton, and I know that uh, that's popular. I think Bagley is the one that's forgotten about the most because Marvin Bagley was kind of getting the you know next great you know next LeBron type of you know hype. Like a lot of these guys are starting to get every year is somebody's the next LeBron. Uh, Bagley's game's a little odd, but athletically he's kind of dominant. But the reason why I'd go probably Aiton is because he's a guy that I know that I think last year could hop in the NBA and go 2010. I think he's a guy that, you know, when you look at favorable comparisons, and they always say don't compare guys to Hall of Famers. Well, I mean, he has the size and the athleticism of a David Robinson. You know, he's not necessarily, he's not the defensive player David Robinson was, but an offensive type of player that David Robinson was. He's a guy that maybe once he gets out of Arizona, where they were playing two seven-footers and he was playing the forward position, maybe when he slides naturally into the five, that in the NBA he'll be able to kind of protect the rim. I think he's a guy that, you know, can probably switch out in space against fours, you know, just depending on who the four is. So I think he's a guy that when you put him in the NBA, you've got a sure thing. His jumper reminds me a lot of Kevin Garnett's. Like, I think if he if he slides into the four, he can be like Garnett. But like you said, Robinson's a good comparison, but I think he's more of a Robinson mainly only shot jumpers on a pull-up in transition. Like that that's how Robinson shot a lot of jumpers. Uh, Garnett would do it in the flow of the offense and he was phenomenal. But yeah, it, and what you said 20 and 10, he will I guarantee he will average 20 and 10 with the Hawks next year. I guarantee with the Hawks. I like that. I like calling the shot with the team too. I love I would love to see him. Now, uh, as long as Atlanta's not, you know, as long as Atlanta's a good organization to build someone around him cuz I think he needs some guidance. That team is definitely a team that needs a DeAndre Ayton. Dennis Schroeder and uh, DeAndre Ayton, the next great. Torian Prince, yep. <laughs> that would be awesome. Hey, and uh, maybe Torian can teach him how to rebound a little bit better. I know uh, <laughs> he's a pretty good rebounder, but maybe he can get to 15 rebounds a game with Torian Prince there. Hey, we'll see. Uh, coming around the corner is NBA playoffs with only eight to nine games left for most teams. The playoff race is coming down to the wire. It looks like the East is pretty much set with the field, even though it looks like the 76ers. I really think they'll catch the Cavs with a three seed. If you look at their strength of schedule, the second best team they play is the Pistons, and then the best they play is the Bucks. Um, and then in the West, it looks like the Nuggets and Clippers won't be in it. So here's the question. What matchups would you like to see in the first round for each conference? And also, what do you expect to see in this year's playoffs? Um, I, I I would say in the first round, there's a lot of matchups. I think everybody's kind of, you know, secretly hoping that Cleveland and Philly somehow find each other. But I think you're right. I think Philadelphia, you know, only being half a game back at Cleveland. Cleveland just lost to Miami in a game they absolutely should have won. Miami was just playing, you know, harder than them. The, the spots between Cleveland and Miami, there's only four game difference in the win column. You know, five games in the loss column. So that's, you know, kind of hard to make up. But there's definitely a lot, a lot of shuffling. I'll say, I'll give you 
two matchups that I would, I would uh, or three. I'm going to give you three matchups in the East that I'd want to see. Miami-Cleveland, just because of the, you know, LeBron factor. I think Washington-Cleveland, and the reason why I say Washington-Cleveland is, and I'm hoping that maybe Wall comes back. I'm, I don't know if he's going to be back this year. He's back. But, uh, he's back. He's been practicing. I'm pretty sure he, yeah, he's, he should be back this week. Okay, I was going to say, I know he hasn't played in a game in forever, but that was one team. Uh, even when LeBron was at his heights in Miami, Washington was always a team that gave him fits for some reason. And I think it was like the youth and the speed of Wall and then throw in Beal. I think that that would be a fun matchup. And then the last one is the 1-8 matchup that's right now, Milwaukee-Toronto. Because Milwaukee gave Toronto absolute headaches. That was the famous or the infamous DeMar DeRozan game that uh, he, I think he was held without a point and like game three uh, versus Milwaukee. Milwaukee had Fawn McCurr out there uh, last year as a rookie playing center, and they would drive in the lane and then dribble out because they couldn't shoot over him. It's a terrible matchup for a Toronto team that everybody thinks is the second or third best team in the NBA right now. So I think that I would like to see that again, especially with all-star Giannis and getting Jabari back. I think that would be a very fun matchup. And um, what do you think about the East? And then we can get to the West, I guess. Well, like you said, of course the Cavs heat would be nice just because of the weight thing. But um, like you, what you're talking about with Milwaukee, I think a, not many teams want to play them because it theoretically, Eric Bledsoe's a pretty good rebounder and shot blocker at the guard position. Chris Middleton, 6'7", can shoot the lights out of it. Giannis can play the three. Then you put uh, Thon Maker at the four. And you also have Jabari Parker. If he can get back in the thorn, he, uh, he reminds me a lot of Carmelo Anthony. And then uh, you can play John John Henson, too. So just imagine that you can even do it like this. You could go and bring Bledsoe to the bench if you want big size. And Ted Acumpo, Middleton. Oh, wait, never mind. It won't work like that. Um, Bledsoe, Middleton, on Ted Acumpo, Maker, John Henson. That, you could you could throw Jabari in there and then yeah. put – yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, that's just that, – that's what I was saying of not Middleton. But, like, this is – that's a lot of length and, like, like um, Toronto has shot more three-pointers this year. Even Jonas Valanciunas is shooting three-pointers. DeMar DeRozan shooting threes. Ibaka's been a pretty good three-point shooter the last few years. Lowry can shoot it. But uh, a few years ago, I think they'd really give him a lot of trouble. But I think Toronto wins this series because they're uh, by far the best, the better three-point shooting team here. It, it's not even close, really. And, and the only two things I want to say is that I don't think Malcolm Brogdon's going to be back, but that would be a huge boost. And the other thing is just that every game, uh, Milwaukee has the best player on the floor. You know, that's 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 also the big thing is that Giannis will always be the best player on the floor. So that's that. But I agree. I think Toronto would win because they're better at basketball. I think um, you uh, Bucks have a series, uh, real legitimate series. If you get rookie Brandon Jennings and he drops 55 points. I had some. Yes. You get yes. Rookie Brandon Jennings. I'm down for rookie Brandon Jennings, man. I'm down for that. I like it too. Uh, and then my other playoff series I want to see is I want to see the Indiana Pacers and the Philadelphia 76ers because I want to take that short ride up to Indianapolis and watch the process. That's the only reason why I want to see mm-hmm. Because I want to see. Well. Go ahead. If you go, let's carpool, man. That's all I'm going to say. If you go, we'll carpool. Yep. I, I, I want to see it. I think Miles Turner and Joel Embiid together would be – I'd love to see that matchup. I don't know how healthy he is because Miles Turner has been pretty uh, injury-prone. And I'm going to say Embiid would eat his lunch. I've been watching Embiid this year, and Embiid is he's – not, he's not a top-five player in the NBA right now, but he's, I think he is uh, in that 10 range. I think he, he's one of the best players in basketball. 
He'll definitely be in top three in a few years. No question. He'll be a top three player. He reminds me so much of Olajuwon. Like, it's scary. Like, he, he's even bigger than Olajuwon. Like, yeah, he's big. He's very big. Like, Olajuwon was slim and could block your shot and jump up in the air. Embiid has the uh, vertical. He can block the shots, and he has a better jumper. Like, that's what I'm really big. Like, I think he has the potential to be a top ten player of all time. I know that sounds crazy, but with, like, the passing of Simmons, they have cap space. They have maybe Mark, they have Marco Fultz, maybe get back to form. Embiid will be a terror. That's going to be absolutely scary. The Celtics and 76ers in the conference finals is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Yep, he's he's like young he's like young Shaq with a jumper with his size the way he's able to take rebounds from almost anyone. Okay, so would you agree a mix between Shaq and Olajuwon? I mean, isn't that isn't that crazy that we're mixing two of the uh, five greatest centers of all time and building it into this Joel Embiid guy? Like, it's amazing. And he's even a better shooter than both of them too. Like, he's even beyond that. Like, Hakeem was pretty good. I'll give Hakeem his due. Hakeem could shoot. I, he he didn't shoot a ton though. He shot mid range, but he well that was different eras too. Yeah, it's always different era. If Kareem if Kareem Abdul Jabbar came around in this era, I think he would be pushing forty percent from three. The guy would have been the greatest player of all time and now. Like I'm just saying, if 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 that would have happened. So it's just you know it's just it's hard to also do that. Joel Embiid wouldn't have been shooting thirty years ago. Hey, we talked about that at um, WLXG. Talked about how Kareem's number one. That's mm-hmm. who I have as my number one. Yep, same. Um, so talk about- Which you can catch that on the at M1B Ball Hour. We did uh, on that show, we did a top 10 of all time list where I had Kareem number one, and my co host almost blew a gasket because he thought it was ridiculous. But he kind of agreed. He agreed that he was number two. So, I mean, it wasn't too bad. But that was a great show. You can check that out on iTunes and, and uh, SoundCloud and stuff. Yeah, you guys check that out. I'm going to be listening to it after the show. Okay, just real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but mine goes. You know, you already know mine, but uh, Kareem, Magic, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron—that's my top five. And I, you, it, and I can, I can, I can almost feel the purple and gold coming through on that one. <laughs> um, I feel it, man. I love my purple. Hey, we play in three and a half hours, and I'm ready for it. We're gonna get this. That's Brandon Ingram's back. Let's go. I can't. I can't wait to talk about that. I, I, let me. Let me do this, and I'll give you like two matchups in the West. I'd really like to see. I think. Uh, um. My top five. I, I don't want to give it all away. Definitely for the show. Um, but I will say that Kareem, Michael, Bill, LeBron, uh, Magic was was the top five that I had. And then number six is a Laker, but it, it's not the Laker you think. So I think that you definitely should listen to that and check it out because it, it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. <clears throat> he means Jerry West. Um, so. <laughs> The topic every big sports show discusses is a LeBron James pending free agency drama. There's been rumors including my Lakers, the Rockets, Spurs, and even a return to Miami is out of the equation. So, Angelo, give my viewers your thoughts on LeBron's decision. I I heard something uh, a couple months ago that made me scratch my head and kind of rethink everything because I was one of the ones that said LeBron James is gone. LeBron James is leaving. He's out forever. All right. He, this is this was his last stop. He brought a championship. He's going to go chase another one. NBA fans would not blame LeBron James if he left Cleveland. 
everybody knows that Cleveland's not the place to be right now. They don't have the talent. He could go elsewhere and build another one of his many dynasties. The problem is, is that LeBron James is an international superstar celebrity. And everybody loves the story that he went back to Cleveland to bring that city up. Now, you can say he won the championship, so his deed is done. But a lot of people think, I think in a more casual circuit, that if he left again, that it would be viewed as being a traitor again and maybe never regain those guys. Now, I think there is something to say on the other hand that he's already brought him a championship. And I think there's one place that he could go where people would kind of brush it away and it's bright lights and it's not MSG, but in the center of Staples, I think that if he decided to go to LA, that's the one place he could go where it would be such a super just magnum show that nobody could really, I don't know, two people would be too uh, captivated by it to really care that he left Cleveland. Now, do I think he's going to leave Cleveland? I think so. I think the writing's on the wall. I think when they traded Kyrie for the Brooklyn pick, I think they knew. I don't think they would have traded Kyrie if uh, LeBron was staying, uh, nor do I think they would have kept the Brooklyn pick uh, during the trade deadline. I think there's a lot of things that are pointing to him leaving. Now, he could come back. They could trade it for a disgruntled superstar A, B, and C and get, you know, and build around LeBron again. And I, 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 you know, you can't really predict the future, but I would say that LA is definitely 1A, 1B on that list. I think San Antonio makes sense. I think uh, Houston makes a little bit of sense that they kind of clear out the cap space, but I don't really see him going to Houston. I definitely think it's LA or bust right now. I did, I did, me and Samaki Walker talked about this on our show, and I didn't really think about the possibility of Houston, but they actually have the second most cap space in the league. But they have to renounce everybody. Like They're completely washed. I think the only players they really have on the roster will be Harden and Eric Gordon and you got, and Ryan Anderson. you got to trade Gordon and Anderson to make it work. So it's, uh, and that's assuming you re-sign Chris Paul. So I, don't, I think that's out. But uh, my, me, well, they did it with Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, me as a Laker fan, I don't. I know it sounds crazy, but I don't want LeBron James. I know people think I'm crazy for wanting him, for not wanting him. But like, I like. I absolutely love this team. Like, I can watch Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, and Lonzo Ball. All day long, and Brook and Brook Lopez, you got to include include him. I love Brook Lopez, and like this team, it's just so fun. And if they're they're one piece away, and that piece is not LeBron James, that piece is Paul George. That's who I want to lead the Lakers back to a championship, not LeBron James. I want a younger Paul George who can stay with these young guys, and we can win some titles with Brandon Ingram or Lonzo being our best player. But this is what I talked about to Samalki. Nobody's been talking about it, but just think about it. The, this is the this probably won't happen, but I think this is the best match. It's not any teams. It's the New York Knicks because here's mm. I know it sounds crazy. Listen, no, it doesn't. It, um, there's one number one. You got you stay in the Eastern Conference. That is a big one. You want to champion mm-hmm. titles. I don't think the Lakers with Paul George and LeBron and the young guys are still beating the. The Warriors, at least in year one. Uh, and then you can challenge this. I don't think the 76ers and Celtics are all there yet. You can still beat the Celtics and them, but you have. And he'd fit horribly on the Sixers. I hate that. Yeah. I, and then you also got um, Chris Osborne, just a young superstar. 
What has LeBron struggled with this uh, in the past few years? He doesn't have young guys. He has older guys around the court. Richard Jefferson was guarding Kevin Durant in the finals. 37-year-old Richard Jefferson was guarding probably the best offensive player in the world, and that's their best matchup. Uh, with the Knicks, you have an uh, upcoming pick in the draft. You have flexibility. Um, you have Porzingis. You have maybe the next um, – uh, what's his name? Gary Payton with a – No, uh, Frank – yeah. Yeah, Nidal Akin. I think he's a great piece. And you also got a three-point shooter and a defensive player in Courtney Lee that you got. So and, I and, – and they'll scorch earth, and they'll and they'll just keep Porzingis and a couple glue guys, and then free agents are going to flock to New York. You've got LeBron plus the big city. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to go there. You saw what happened when they had Carmelo and Stoudemire. They had a big yeah. J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, uh, Jason Kidd was on that team. Oh my gosh, I love that team. Tyson Chandler, Raymond Felton, uh, and you had. The man of New York, Steve Novak, also. So, and imagine that. I think another place that I mean, not to interrupt. Go ahead and finish. I, no, go ahead. I was done. No, I think the New York Knicks is absolutely a sleeper team. I think that he could build something quickly, and it would just boost his profile even more. Uh, the team right below him in the standings, I think that it, a fun story, I'm not saying it's likely, so don't take my words as likely, a fun story with LeBron going to Chicago and them just signing guys and trading for guys, knowing that they have these high picks and all this, and him destroying Jordan from within his own franchise and just winning a chip for Chicago and just being like, yeah, I'm better than them. And that would be just mind-blowing. I think the, I think that would be a lot of fun, but I think the number one sleeper team, that if it's not L.A., if it's not Houston, I think uh, it, we heard chirps of it, and it got swept under the rug, Golden State. I think that's the sleeper team. Yeah. But yeah, that that Chicago Bulls thing. But there's so many things, like so many. That'd be so fun. Teams. There's so many teams that make sense. Like even the Bucks with Giannis would make would make sense. Like he, he ain't yeah he ain't leaving he ain't leaving Cleveland to go to a small market. Take every small market out. He went from Cleveland to Miami, which is a top five TV market. Then he went back to Cleveland. He ain't going. He ain't going to Milwaukee. He ain't going to Portland. He's not going to Oklahoma City, man. I think he is going somewhere where the exposure is going to be the brightest. So that's why New York makes sense. That's why the Lakers make sense. That's why the Warriors make sense. And then to a lesser extent, the Rockets. And then to an even lesser extent, the Spurs. So it would be, I mean, I'd love to see him and Kawhi together. But yeah, that's what I think on LeBron. I think LA's kind of the, the one-stop shop. I'm saying probably number two would be I'll say number two is Cleveland, staying in Cleveland, and then number three is Golden State. And then I really can't see what else he'd do from there. Okay, we got one more topic on here. We're gonna talk, we were gonna talk about the Johnny Manziel going to the Patriots, but we've had a really long show. Uh, we're not going to the Patriots, but uh, having meetings with them. But here's if you want to talk about it, I'm down. I've got time if you want to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it a little bit then. Uh, there's been reports coming out Johnny Manziel had some, had several meetings with the Patriots of Texas Texas A&M Pro Day. What do you think of this dudes and what and of this news and anything will come will anything come out of it? Uh, it's it's really really interesting. I don't know why the Patriots wanted to put themselves in the forefront of that. You know, like who wants to be in the forefront of the Johnny Manziel circus, and especially if you're the New England Patriots. But 
They could use a young quarterback to groom behind Tom Brady. They could use a guy that has a high ceiling. They could use a guy that's learned the error of his ways and is ready to learn behind one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. And you all can say, go, I'm, I'm going to stick with what I want to say. So one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. So there is that. I, it could just be, I, I mean, they could just talk to him. They might've talked to him during the pre-draft and just getting to know him. And they're checking, how have you been Johnny? Um, I think if he went there, it would kind of throw a wrench into the Patriots kind of thing, but maybe it's a wrench they need. Maybe they don't feel inspired after losing the Super Bowl, and maybe they need a spark, and maybe this is what they're looking for. So I would give it a 5% chance, but I'm not giving it 0%, that's for sure. Oh, and for what you're talking about, Tom Brady is easily the number one quarterback all the time. Like, I, I, I don't like that's not a debate to me. I think uh, Tom Brady is easily number one. So if you're saying top five, for sure he's top five. But I think um, if this he's probably number one. He's probably number one. I won't take it away from him. I'd say so. Yeah, uh, and this really, um, if he signs, I think it's a shot by Bill Belichick. At like. It's he wants the storyline to go on them. I that that's a bad relationship right now. I think mm-hmm. it'd be a shot by Bill Belichick. Yeah, every relationship's had their ups and downs. This one's just been much more highly publicized. So yeah, I could definitely see maybe there being friction. But after everything they've gone through as a as a unit, after all the championships, all the Super Bowls, everything they've done for one another, I just you know I'd like to think that that's not just something that's going to deteriorate. But we've heard all the news, so it's you know where there's smoke, there's fire most of the time. ESPN thir- uh, thirty for thirties, the two bills was very good too. I like that. Uh, I need to watch that. Yeah, it was. I love. It. Um, here's our last topic of the day, Angelo. Um, the um, the big headlines coming out this week are in regard to the NFL. Rule out to trades, signings, and the draft. The NFL season is in full swing. The Browns currently have the number one pick in the draft. And most people expect the quarterback to be selected there. With Patrick going number four to the Browns. What do you think about this upcoming draft? Do you have any predictions? Evan, the NFL draft is my, it's kind of my thing. That's the thing that I follow the closest out of everything in sports. It's the thing that I always try to keep my pulse on. So um, I got pretty much whatever you want to ask. Is there anything specific or you just want me to talk about the top of the draft? Well, what do you think about um, the number one pick? What do you, do you think they take uh, Saquon Barkley and try and get a quarterback at four? Or do they take their quarterback? Or do they take two quarterbacks? Do they take a quarterback? Uh, at number one and four, or they take, try and get a quarterback at one and get Saquon Barkley at four. Like, there's so many options, and even Bradley Chubb's in the mix. Like, most people are connecting Minka Fitzpatrick there, but Bradley Chubb's also in the mix. I would have to say, this is this is my opinion on this. From everything, now this is years and years of watching the draft and trying to understand what trends are, who goes where, what's going on. All right, all the buzz says Sam Darnold's going number one, right? Yeah. So I think that if you look back in NFL history, if you look at the guys that tend to go at the top, no matter what the class is, they are big, they are strong, and they have unlimited potential. They have great. They have great yeah, they're, I mean, you got. I mean, you can even go to the bus and you can go to the success. I think Josh Allen's going number one. I think Josh Allen's going to be the guy. I think Hugh wants a guy that has the like. I remember in Cincinnati. 
when Hugh was there, he wanted Colin Kaepernick over Andy Dalton because he had more tools that Hugh wanted to utilize. And I think out of all the top quarterbacks in this draft, that's the most toolsy quarterback. You know, no no slight to Lamar Jackson and his amazing athleticism. It's Josh Allen. And there's, that's a guy that needs to cut through the Cleveland win. It's a guy that is an underdog story. He was a Juco guy, had to go to Wyoming. Now he's at the top of the draft. I think he's a guy that is not is I, I don't think he's as unrefined as people make it out to be. He has the best arm to come out in years. I think he's the guy that Cleveland's going to pull the trigger on at one. But if they take him at one, do you think that um, Tyrod Taylor starts over near one? I think Tyrod Taylor absolutely starts over him year one. I think that Josh is a guy that they're going to sit and they're going to let him learn. They don't want him to rush and bust. I think Tyrod's a guy. I honestly think that John Dorsey, with every move that he's made, he's doing what the Philadelphia 76ers did when they fired Sam Hinkie and brought in Brian Colangelo. Uh, Sashi was the one that got all the assets, and then Brian, and then uh, uh, John Dorsey's the guy that's going to come in and make him go to the playoffs right away. That's what Brian Colangelo did. They lost and they fired assets, and then Brian Colangelo came and was like, I'll throw 22 million dollars JJ Reddick. I'll get this veteran. I'll get that veteran. That's what John Dorsey is doing. I think he wants to make a run at the playoffs. And I'm not talking about winning the division. I'm talking about the bottom, you know, and and being competitive and more respectable and being in every game. And I think that Tyrod is definitely in place to start every game next year. And then with a guy like Josh Allen, unlike Sam Donald, who I think people would try to pressure in there, I think Josh Allen's a guy that everybody would be like, yeah, he definitely does need a year to sit and he won't have the pressure to come in right away like a Sam Darnold would too. I think it's all the way around. I think Browns are winning seven, eight games next year, honestly. I think they're going to be a much improved football team. Uh, I just really like what I'm seeing from them. I think they're going to be pretty great. Not great. I, I would say pretty great. I think they're going to be pretty good. Uh, definitely an improvement from last year. Uh, it just depends on who they take it for, I think, really. Um, if it's a defensive player, if they get Saqu- if they can somehow get Saquon Barkley at four, they might have a chance at the playoffs. I'm okay. Now, this is where it just is my draft opinion. All right. This is just the way I think Saquon Barkley is a heck of a prospect in his own right. I'm not a huge fan of him as a runner. I think he reminds me of Reggie Bush when he came out as a guy that's going to catch a lot of passes and be more of an open space guy. And I think in the NFL, that's what it's going towards. So Saquon does have a lot of value there. I don't think Bradley Chubb's going to be a pick for Cleveland. I think it's definitely the way the draft's going to fall. I think. I think they're going to go Josh Allen one, Saquon Barkley four. I think you can kind of write it in ink at this point, uh, in in my opinion, as of you know March twenty uh, eighth, because I think they're going to get their quarterback. Giants are going to go quarterback. Jets are going to go quarterback, and then Cleveland's going to be sitting there. Now the Bills might try to throw a lot of picks at them, but I think they're going to see Saquon. I think they're going to take Saquon, and the future of that backfield is going to be Josh Allen and Saquon Barkley. There's reports come bad about how the Giants might reload with Eli Manning and take Saquon, but I don't. That's, I have a hard time doing that if I'm the Giants. I is have what? A hard time doing that. Of what? Taking a quarterback over Saquon? No, no. I have a hard time. Uh, I have a hard time taking. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm, yeah, you, you, actually, I'm trying to say I have a hard time picking Saquon over a quarterback because Eli Manning's about done. 
Like he's not- yeah, no, 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 no. I, I completely agree. I think that if you take Saquon, you're doing it just for now, just for the now. He's not going to really provide you a run game, and I know that's an unpopular opinion, but him as a running back, he's not Leonard Fournette. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not Todd Gurley. He's not a runner. He's not a. He's not going to tote the ball in between the tackles all these times. He For his huge body, he has a problem with balance. He has a problem with being able to take on multiple defenders in that asset. His greatest asset is to use that big frame on the sidelines, control his back balance in one-on-one open field situations and being able to outrun his opponents. He is a workout warrior, in my opinion. He's a workout warrior that has very, 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 very good speed. And he's a guy that I think is going to be more of a Christian McCaffrey than a Leonard Fournette, if you get my comparison here. He's definitely more of a Christian McCaffrey type than he is a Leonard Fournette type. Do you take Christian McCaffrey number two overall? Granted, Saquon Barkley is a more freakish Christian McCaffrey. But, you know, that's just kind of the way I see it. I agree with you. I think if you're the Giants, I think you take Josh Rosen. What I've heard, everything that I've come to believe, Allen goes one, Darnold goes two, Rosen goes three. And I think the Jets have keyed in on Josh Rosen. That's the guy they want is Josh Rosen, and I don't blame him either. So, because Rosen's my top player in the draft right now. I think Rosen. I think Rosen is the is the quarterback, the guy out of all the players in this class. Also, just real quick, Bradley Chubb is not going to Cleveland. You can write that in pen too, or uh, or erase it if you have it there, because I think uh, with the investment in Miles Garrett and everybody's like, oh, put him another end on the side of you. Number one, Bradley Chubb hits and misses too much. I think he disappears in some games. And number two, Emmanuel Ogba is one of the best run defensive ends in football last year. So I think having Ogba playing the left end and Miles Garrett being your pass rusher on the right end, that's kind of the way that they're going to build the future of their line. I got one last hot take on this. Just thought about this. Okay. So uh, remember the Dallas Cowboys selected Ezekiel Elliott a few years ago with the fourth overall pick. And who did, who is their quarterback? An aging, it was Tony Romo. An yep. aging quarterback. If the Giants pick Saquon Barkley, this is the same position the Cowboys were in, but the Cowboys lucked out by getting uh, Dak Prescott. Absolutely. I don't think the Giants have that. I mean, who they start? Who is the quarterback? I can't remember who they started over Eli the game. Uh, they've been Geno Smith. Yeah, Geno Smith, who has been getting heat on uh, social media for years. This is not. They don't have that next guy. So if no. if they get a no, they don't. If they get a fourth round pick and get a quarterback, hey, they get Steven Johnson fourth round. He's the next. <laughs> Scott. Uh, they might be talking, but uh, the college Stephen Johnson, the college Tom Brady. No, the, the, the Giants fans like to believe that Davis Webb can be the future. He's he's no better than Christian Hackenberg in a lot of ways, and also uh, Logan Woodside is a guy that y'all need to watch out for in the draft. Uh, he went. He's played quarterback at Toledo from Frankfurt. He's from Frankfurt, Kentucky. So a local guy you all can root for in the draft, and maybe is the next Dak Prescott, and will be starting at an NFL team near you. Okay. Angelo, I got one more thing. Who's winning the World Series? It's the Chicago Cubs, my man. I got New York Yankees with you. I got yeah, the Cubs are my team, though. So you know, you're asking a, you know, you're you're asking a, you know, I, I don't have a comparison. I feel like it'd get too racy if I did something like that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. so, hey. I'm a diehard Cubs fan, so that's why. Hopefully the Cubs and Yanks play in the series. I'd be looking forward to that. Very nice. Uh, well, Angelo, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'd absolutely love to have you back on sometime. This has been a super long show, and we didn't even fit in all the topics because we just kept talking about this, and it was a great show. But uh, absolutely loved having you on. 
Yep, I'd love to come back on, man. Thanks a lot, Evan. Thanks again, Angelo. This has been our interview with Angelo Carriero on the Ball Talk Pod. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, all our social media outlets, and our website at www.balltalkpod.com. Thank you.